And so we have come to know, dear God, and to believe the love that you have for us. So we have come to know and to believe the love you have for us. Praise you, Lord, for your steadfast, perfect love. Praise you, Lord, that in your love you have adopted a people who were not a people. You brought into being that which was not and that which should not be. You have gathered, Lord, a people for your own possession who will proclaim your excellencies forever. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our proclamation. You're worthy of our worship. You're so much more worthy of the worship that we can provide you. And so we praise you for the grace that is even, Lord, even the grace that is cleansing our worship of you this morning. We praise you for your love and your steadfast, total, perfect grace. God, we ask that as we open your word this morning, you would open our hearts to your word. We pray these things in the name of our King and Savior, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated, and if you have children, you can dismiss those kiddos to children's ministry. And if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, I'll begin reading in verse 12, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This passage has a number of beautiful truths and implications for us, but one of the things that's just reminding when you read this text is just, man, there just there really are just two ways of living. There really are just two different ways of living, and one of those ways is a dependence on your own resources. And uh, the, the bottom line sort of conclusion of, of living in a way that is dependent on your own resources and capacities uh, is, is fear. The, the, the fruit of that way of life, of living according to your own capacities, according to your own resources, the fruit of that way of life, the place where that terminates is fear. And that's because you're just not up to the challenge. And there's a part of you deep inside that isn't believing uh, the, the, the boasting that you're feeding it. And, and, and there's a part of you that is always looking at the world and saying, uh, we don't have what it takes. And so... One way to live is to live according to your own resources, your own capacities in the flesh, and, and that, that terminates or ends or leads to fear. And then the other way of living, of course, is living in the adoption that the Father provides through Jesus Christ. And that terminates, that ends, that concludes in faith. And, and one of the interesting things that, that, that happens if you're living in this adoption life in which kind of the whole purpose of your being and your whole purpose, your whole, whole view of things is, you know, I have a father who also happens to be God. 
or I have a God who also happens to be my father. That terminates in, in, in Abba, Father. It terminates every chapter of your life. Some of them are going to be great. Some of them are going to be terrible. But every chapter of the Christian's life ends with the same phrase, Abba, Father. That's because in our groanings, we cry out to our dad. And that's because in our gratitude, we give praise to our dad. And so you have these two ways of life. One is very uh, is dependent on what you can do, on what you can bring to the table, on, on your capacity to navigate this complicated and difficult life. And that one always ends in fear. And then the other one is to, to live in a, in a spirit of adoption, to, to live as an adopted child of the Most High God. And that one always ends with some sort of celebration of God's fatherhood. I want to take that a step further and simply point out the sociological phenomenon, and that is simply that a society full of people who have God as their dad tend to create life and flourishing and shalom, whereas a culture full of people who terminate on fear tend to create a culture of death. So uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a, a Russian author and a documenter of the, the horrible uh, downfall of Russia through uh, the communist experiment. experiment. Uh, 20 million people at least dead through Stalin and so forth. And Solzhenitsyn was, was brought into the gulag and experienced this, these things firsthand. Listen to his assessment of uh, his quick summary of the downfall of his nation. Uh, he says the Bolsheviks, for their part, quickly put the Russian character in irons and redirected it to their own ends. I will recapitulate briefly. A paralyzing fear spread over the country, a fear not only of arrest, but of any action of leadership, given the total and utter worthlessness of anyone's rights and the inability to escape from arbitrary rule by relocation. A network of informants saturated the population. Secrecy and distrust permeated the people, so much so that any overt activity was perceived as a provocation. How many denunciations there were against one's own closest relatives or against friends who had fallen under the sword. A total deafening indifference toward those who perished all around. An overpowering plume of betrayal. It was unavoidable. If you want to survive, lie. Lie and pretend. In place of all the good that was dying away, ingratitude, cruelty, and a thoroughly rude, self-centered ambition now rose and established themselves. Because he's documenting how his, how his country spiraled into a hellhole for decades. Uh, he says it all started when a culture of fear was saturated within the people. You know, that is a common connection to genocide. Fear is. Fear is a common connection. If you, if you look through history and find these moments of mass execution, you'll find uh, connected to that fear. And we'll explain why that is as we proceed. But, but today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it took me all of about 10 minutes to outline at least six fears that are at the root of abortion. And I just want to give you a list of, of some of the fears that are at the root of abortion. One would be the fear of abstinence. Um, our culture has decided that sexual fulfillment is a right that must be honored. And, and, and we've really come up in an age where people legitimately fear going without 
sexual satisfaction. So one of the underlying fears that leads up and ramps up to this tragedy called abortion is a fear of abstinence. Another is the fear of being alone. 83% of women getting abortions are unmarried. So at least 83% of the time, uh, sexual sin precedes an abortion. So sex before marriage happens for many reasons, of course, including good old-fashioned lust. But one of the underlying reasons why women lower their uh, standards, and ladies, we really depend on you to keep those high, because that's kind of how masculinity gauges itself. Uh, You lower your standards, you lower the cultural understanding of what masculinity is. Anyway, one of the reasons why women drop their force field, so to speak, and make accommodations is a good old-fashioned fear of being alone. A great deal of relational and sexual compromise occurs simply because human beings are afraid of being alone. Um, There's the the, the fear of suffering. 61% of women who had abortions had one child, at at least one child already, and so they know firsthand how hard hard it is to raise a kiddo. And so when they find themselves pregnant, they, they, have, they have some sort of connection and capacity to say, this is going to be really difficult. This is really going to cause a lot of pain in my life. And so another cause of abortion is the fear of suffering. And then, of course, you have the fear of losing control. Because, of course... You know, going through nine months of pregnancy and delivering a child and then raising little ones, it's all this massive exercise in losing control. And so one of the reasons why people have abortions is because they're afraid of losing control. So they're afraid of, of, of suffering. They're afraid of being alone. They're afraid of losing control. Um, they're afraid of look, looking bad. You know, they don't want to be that person, that single woman with the, with the, with the child that pops up unexpectedly. And so legitimately one of the fears that leads to abortion is simply the the fear of looking bad, looking stupid. Then, of course, right now at a cultural level, a great fear that we have that's contributing to this tragedy is uh, we have a fear of telling people in hard situations to act honorably. That's like it's like a massive cultural fear we have. We have a fear of telling people in difficult situations to be the hero of the story and rise above and don't pass on their suffering to the next person like so many victims of abuse do. We have, a, we have an allergy to calling people who are hurting to be heroes when exactly that's exactly what the Bible calls us to in our suffering. The Bible calls us to rise up and be honorable and not pass on our pain to some other innocent person in our, in our lives. And we are afraid, we are scared to death of telling people in difficult situations to act honorably. We give them massive permission slips to do the most cruel things because their situation is difficult. And we're afraid of telling them, no, we know your situation is difficult. We know it's painful. But you've got to actually rise above and you've got to take responsibility. You've got to, you've got to be the one hero in the story. If you're the only one who chooses to act honorably, be that person. But we, we have such a hard time telling people to do that. So, you know, all this talk about toxic masculinity is going on right now. And, and yet 800,000 women killed their babies last year. To put that into perspective, there were 10,000 men who were convicted of murder last year. And this is all rooted in this incapacity to tell people who are in hard situations, yeah, I know it's going to be t- tough, and I know you're going to lose control, and you're going to look bad, and you're going you're to suffer, and it's going to be difficult, but be honorable. Don't pass on 
your suffering like so many victims do to the next person. We're just afraid to tell people the truth about what they should do in hardships. We, we start using the word privilege so that we don't have to call people in difficult things to do admirable, honorable, difficult things. But that's where it always winds up. And so all of these fears, are, you go through history and, and find these, these moments of mass genocide and you always wind up seeing a culture that was just gripped with fear. And my question is, well, where does that fear come from? Well, that fear comes from living life on your own. So Romans 8 teaches us that fear comes from thinking it's up to you. From thinking that you've got to make it work. And there's really only one, one, one antidote to that. I'll get to that in a minute. But before I get there, I just want to say that as I've listed these fears, uh, I think it should be easy for us to empathize with people who have abortions. Because all of the fears that lead up to those are common to man. We, we, we know these fears. We know the fear of looking bad. We know the fear of losing control. We know the fear of suffering. We know the fear of being alone. We know these fears. And we should really be afraid of these fears, if that makes any sense. Because look how, look how bad they can go. Look, look where these fears can take us. Look, look what they can cause us to do. So, so this is in no means a, a kind of, a, you know, women who have abortions are evil and there's that. Uh, this is more of a, uh, let's understand that the road up to that decision is paved with emotions that you and I both have and also, if we're honest, allow to dominate our lives and also, if we're honest, affect other people negatively as well. So fear just leads to death, right? Like, it's just, it's just Bible 101. So what's the antidote to this fear? What's the other way of, of life? Fear is just going to be the natural byproduct. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Fear is just going to be the natural byproduct of living life on your own. You know, we said a few weeks ago that, you know, is God your God and is God your goal? If not, you have, you have every reason to be anxious and fearful. Because, because you're, you're living in a, a glass house. You're, you're living on something ex, excruciatingly vulnerable and fragile. So what's the antidote to this? You know, we, we, we talk about this. Uh, maybe some churches, we haven't talked about it every year on, on Sanctity of Life Sunday, but we're talking about it this year. And, you know, this has been an issue since 1973. What, what's, what's the antidote? Well, friends, you know me, I, I want to go all the way to the bottom of this and think, well, what's, what's really going on here? And I'll just tell you point blank. Romans 8, 12 through 15 says that the antidote to the spirit of abortion is the spirit of adoption. The antidote to all the fear that leads up to death is a sense of the fatherhood of God dominating your life. Look back at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. It's the weirdest thing about living life for, your own, for yourself and in your own resources. It's, it's all labeled as freedom, but the Bible says it's slavery. 
to live for yourself, by yourself, by your own perceptions, out of your own strength. It's, it's slavery. And when you do that, you're going to be afraid because deep down you know you're not good enough because you aren't. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is only one way out of the self-reliance fear cycle. And that is adoption. As I said earlier, there are just two ways of living. By your own perceptions and with your own resources. Or as a child who looks to the God of the universe and says, that's my dad. You know, Solzhen Eason also said something else really interesting. He said, don't fear the law, fear the judge. Because his whole idea of, of justice in, in, a, in a downtrodden, corrupt society is, is that, you know, you can make a law, say anything you want. And you can use a law to convict anyone you want. So he's like, don't fear the law, fear the judge. And Romans 8 is this beautiful truth that says, yeah, don't fear, fear the law, fear the judge. And by the way, the judge is your dad. Spirit of adoption is the only antidote for the spirit of abortion. Because where everything about abortion cries out, I'm not enough, I can't do it, I won't survive, I don't want to wind up weak and low and hard, the spirit of adoption says, uh, I will never leave you or forsake you. I just want to think about that for a minute. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not a deep, thought, but it really hit me. So abortion is essentially the opposite of I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? I mean, that's the opposite. Abortion is essentially the opposite of uh, behold, I have loved you with an unfailing love. What's going on when people are so afraid that they think their best course of action is to bring more death into the world is that they don't have anyone Telling them from the inside out, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I have loved you with an unfailing love. First John 4.18 says that uh, perfect love casts out fear. And I've thought a lot about that, 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 that qualifier, perfect love. Because man, that's an important part of that sentence. Because a lot of love causes fear. Because a lot of us love conditionally, right? And so uh, there's a constant fear of, of being unloved or de-loved. I don't know if that, how that would work, but we've all been there. It has to be perfect love if it's going to cast out fear. And what is perfect love? Perfect love is God sending Jesus to die for you when you were a sinner and his enemy so that he could adopt you as his child and declare joy over you for eternity as his child. That's what perfect love is. And that's the only kind of love that drives out fear. It's the perfect love. The perfect love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The perfect love of gospel adoption. That's why I read this morning when I prayed from 1 John four sixteen, which says, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. What a wonderful thing to be able to say about yourself. Boy, make that your goal. What a wonderful thing to be able to say to you about yourself. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're 20 or 30 or 40, and maybe it takes you a while to be able to say authoritatively, I have come to know and believe the love that God has for me. That's the foundation of everything. And it's what will finally drive away those fears. 
It's the only thing that will combat them in real time. You are going to fear being alone. You, you are going to feel looking back. You're going to fear suffering. You're, you're going to fear losing control. And the antidote to that is the adoption love of God. I've come to know and believe the love that God has for me. Just thought about how Romans 8, 12 through 15 says that the Spirit himself declares this truth. And I thought about how that might work. I thought about how that might work to be a young man or a young woman with your whole life ahead of you and a surprise pregnancy and all of the, 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 the witch's brew of fears that is in this cauldron you know, of your heart. And it's the stirring, dark, you know, light-sucking kind of fears of uh, fear of being ostracized and the fear of ruining your whole future and but your, this fear of the fear of financial suffering, the fear of physical suffering, the fear of you know I I I I don't know if I'm ready to get married, and all of these fears. And I thought, what would the Spirit of God do in a young heart who is standing over that cauldron of death? And here's what I think the Spirit of God do would do. I think He would use His Word and say things like, "The Lord will fight for you." You only have to be silent. Go up to a high mountain. Herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Fear not. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I the Lord your God. Hold your right hand. It is I who say to you. Fear not. I am the one who helps you. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your, straight, your path straight. Therefore don't be anxious saying what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Or which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a servant? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. The spirit of adoption is this eternal fountain of reassurance of God's presence and his care, his fatherly care, 
for you in your moments of fear. And at least at that moment, there's even some pushback where you don't have to automatically go to death. But friends, it really is that simple. The spirit behind abortion is in all of us. And the only thing to combat, it it leads to death in different ways for each of us. Right? It it doesn't always lead to abortion. It, It leads to evangelistic silence. It, it, it leads to money hoarding. It leads to, it leads to all sorts of deaths. But the point is, is that in the fear, you're killing something that could live. Guys, it's, it's this amazing thing that God does, how he writes in the, in the, in the ink of reality. He's, we're living a story. We're living a parable. And this parable is, is that we can be, you can be in the most prosperous nation ever in the, in the history of the world, and you can have people for whom poverty is simply uh, less wealth than most, but still wealthy. We can make sure that no child starves to death in our country. We can make sure that we have WIC and healthcare and so on and so forth, and we have so much. The, the safety net in this country is amazing. We can, have it, we can make it so easy to simply be honorable in the moment of crisis and yet still fear if it's not interrupted by something, will lead to death. And that isn't just true of women who find themselves pregnant and don't know if they can handle it. It's true of all of us. But praise God, we don't have to live there anymore. The God of the universe, this is the opposite of Adoption, God's adoption is the opposite of abortion. Like he's looking for troubled child, children, right? Like he's, he's looking for us. He seeks us out and he pays a magnificent price all so that he could speak to us and be with us and love us and reassure us and care for us. And so in those moments of crisis when fear is right there and it threatens some version of life, Speaking truth, it's a version of life. Giving generously, it's a version of life. Your fear will threaten some version of life that could take shape in you or through you if you did not give in to fear. And in that moment, what's the antidote? What's the fix? The fix is the adoption love of the Father. Who through His Spirit will turn His Word into air to breathe. When you can't catch your breath. And a rock to stand on when it feels like you're in quicksand. And light when it feels like you're in darkness. The adoption love of God through Jesus is the antidote to the spirit. To the darkness that leads to sins like abortion. So let me just talk about some application. The most pro-life thing you can do is to speak the word of life into this world about the new life. Fallen, broken, depraved people can have in Jesus Christ. 
the most pro-life thing you can do is speak the word, the gospel of life into the world, proclaiming the adoption love of God lavishly to all. Spread the good news that we are not orphans in this world and that we don't have to live under that father, old father, the father of lies. That we can be broke loose and redeemed and the light can come on and we can be alive in the family of God. Spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the most pro-life thing you can do because it brings new life. Eternal life. We're going to take part in the National uh, 40 Days of Life campaign this year beginning in late February. And we'll gather at the local abortion mill and we'll pray. And you think, well, why would you do that? Well, there are a bunch of reasons to do that. I've participated in these before. And throw out all of your preconceived notions of violence or anger or hostility. It isn't that way at all. Really what it is is just an opportunity to say, this is not okay. And we're going to ask God to change it. We would, as we participated in these in the past, we would bring our kids Maybe not our, 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 our walking around kids, but definitely our babies. And we just have our babies in our arms as we stood there and prayed. So that'll, that'll come up at the end of February. and We'll gather as a church on our normally scheduled prayer night there. And then some community groups may choose to go a second time during the 40 days. I want to speak to uh, women who've had an abortion Pretty much every time I've ever preached about this, I've had a woman come up to me later and say, hey, I want to talk to you and uh, confess that at some point in their life they had had an abortion. And, and uh, many times I was the, you know, this was the first time they were talking about it. I want to speak to women that had an abortion. And I, just want, I just want to be clear. I'm not chauvinistic enough to expect less of you because you're a woman. <laughs> like, stand up, be strong, use your head, be brave. That's, that's for you. That's your responsibility, just like it is everybody else's. Don't be deceived by people who say they are pro-woman and yet continually expect less of them. I want to say that, but I also want to say the real threat at this stage, after you've had an abortion, is that you're still living according to fear, and that fear is simply this. You are afraid to believe that God can forgive you and love you and make that moment in your life disappear in the sea of forgetfulness according to his lavish grace. So I just want to say to a woman who's had an abortion, here's what God would say to you. Come, let us reason together. Your sins are like scarlet. I can make them as white as snow. The only thing, fear has already screwed up enough of your life. The only thing that can keep you right now from turning to Jesus and being adopted and having God as your dad is more fear. Stop it with the fear. Your fear would be preventing another life from taking shape and that would be your new life in Jesus. So don't. There's nothing keeping you. You didn't commit the unpardonable sin. 
as we've said earlier, the fears that you were listening to are fears that we've all had and they have all caused death in some way or another. Join this imperfect body of believers who have only one thing to claim, and that is grace alone. So number three, in the same way that abortion is a living parable about the tragedy of self-reliance, adopting children will be our parable of the power of the gospel. We're, we're giving a counter story in the world. It, it, it doesn't need to be something that we feel puffed up in or that we, we boast in, but the, the story is pretty magnificent. It, the story is essentially this, and it won't work unless this is the story, so let's all get on the same page. Um, you've got the a, a abortion story, which is, my fears will not allow me to accommodate this life which has naturally occurred in my body to continue. Right? It's the basic story of abortion. My fears will not allow me to accommodate, simply accommodate uh, a life that has naturally occurred in my body to continue. So that's the parable of abortion in the world is, is the power of fear. How fear brings death. It's the parable of the Holocaust. It's the parable of the gulag. It's all about fear. So there's another parable that we get to tell as followers of Jesus, and that is the parable of adoption. And this is what we've got to say. We've got to say, um, God has so overwhelmed my fears that I naturally have about, well, I have enough money or enough energy or enough capacity. God has so marvelously addressed the natural fears that I have with his fatherhood that now I look out into the world with open arms for a chance to add more, more responsibilities, more diapers, honestly, more teenagers. <sighs> like it's 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 this it's this long tunnel you look down when you when you think about adoption. You know, it's it's not just tomorrow. It's like they're going to be eighteen one day, and there's all that. The story we're telling, the story we're telling, the story we're countering with in the world is God has so lavishly dealt with my natural dark death bringing fears that he's opened my heart to new life and and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to seek that I'm going to go out and look for it like I'm not only going to accommodate the the baby that gets dropped on my doorstep or in my womb. I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to go out and look for more people to love. If we don't get our story right, it's going to sound like we never had the fears to begin with. If we don't get our story right, it's going to sound like we're just really good people. It's not that, right? The fatherhood of God, the fatherhood love of God has been so powerful that it has come and displaced the fears, perfect love has cast out fear. That's pretty sweet. When fear reigns, we start doing the, um, the action, the movement in an action movie where they start throwing stuff off the helicopter so the helicopter doesn't crash or throwing stuff off the boat so the boat doesn't sink. 
when fear reigns, this is what we do. We do this to other people. We do this to blessings. We start throwing, we start throwing people off our helicopter. That's what abortion is. But what if the hand of God is right underneath the helicopter? Or what if you go down and it's going to be okay either way? There is a consequence of the adoption of God, and that is faith. I believe that God exists, and I believe he rewards those who seek him. He's going to take care of me. As we move forward in our church's goal of adopting at least one child a year for the next 10 years, I think we're going to hit a traffic jam. I think we've got a number of families right now that are prayerfully interested in exploring adoption. But let's just be excited as a church. As gruesome and terrible as the story of abortion is, and God let it stop soon, the story of adoption is, boy, it's beautiful. You know how Paul says where, grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. The story of adopting love, first applied through the gospel of Jesus, and then applied in practical ways of going out and bringing new people into our family. The story of adopting love, it's just a much more beautiful story than the abortion story is ugly. It's, it's incredible. So we get to proclaim that beautiful, father-loving life change. Let me pray. Gracious God, we praise your name for the beauty of your adopting love. And Lord, now people have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And as they're sitting there, Father, I just ask that you would speak to each one of us about how we can Respond to this beautiful truth. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith that comes from your fatherhood in our moments of fear. That the spirit of adoption would counteract the spirit of abortion, even in our own lives. Lord, we pray for women who have already crossed that line. God, I just ask that you would allow them to understand that you really are that good. You really are that good. Relief doesn't come by justifying their actions. Relief won't come by by saying, yeah, it was a really hard uh, moment. Relief certainly won't come by celebrating their actions. Um, They said it all along. They say it to this day. It's, It's my choice. And So, Lord, let these women stand before you and say, I made this choice. It's me. It wasn't my circumstances. It was was just me. I just, I I gave in to fear. But, Lord, in in the way that you have done for me millions of times in my life, will you meet this broken person with this unfathomably deep, true, confident love Where their sin abounds, may your grace abound much more. God, allow our church to tell this story well and proclaim it to the universe that the fatherhood of God has displaced our fears and we now are looking to add life into our world. Praise you, Lord.